going to be in Numbers 13 today, so if you want to kind of get there, if you're like in your Bible app or you have your Bible and you want to get to Numbers 13, but I just want to say something before we start. The Holy Spirit, from the time he started writing the book, before he even created the earth, he's incredibly intentional. Everything he does in your life is intentional. Everything he does in our lives is intentional. He has a very straightforward purpose in what he's hoping to accomplish. And he doesn't just hope. He has a hope that doesn't disappoint. He's going to accomplish. When we are opening this word up, the intent that he has is for us to become everything that we're supposed to be as a church. What I want to do today, what the Holy Spirit directed in my heart was to remind you who you are. Because what's happened is there's been a dry season. And I heard it from a lot of people. I've been speaking to a lot of people. It's been a dry season. That's the same phrase I keep hearing, a very dry season. It's time for the rain. It's time for a new season. It's time for God to splash down with his presence. And the song's so appropriate last week that the cloud beginning to swell. We're going to finish up with that today. But then, the, then today, just the beautiful song choices, the Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. We rest on you. We, 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 we accept you. We, we invite you in. We are going to move with him. He is intentional. And the dry season that you have been in, that you've been feeling, it's about to change. It's about to change. Yeah. I want to share with you this scripture in Numbers 13 because of who it tells us we are. And sometimes we forget. Even in the question and answer time, I was catching some, some questions, some phrases that people were forgetting who they are in Christ, forgetting the power that they have. Not everywhere. We all get in those places where you feel small in your own eyes. So you think you're small in his. Let me remind you. Numbers 13 is at a time where you're about three months post-Egypt. You get about 2.5 million Israelites. They have left the nation. They have looted the nation of Egypt. They have all their gold. They've got most of their stuff. And they've walked away. They have crossed both an ocean and a desert. And they're at the precipice of the promised land. And at this point, God says, by God's direction, he tells Moses, take 10, take 12 men, take someone from each tribe, all 12, designate them as spies. They're going into the promised land. We want to see if what God says is there, is there. And God told him to do it. Go check it out. Go check it out. It's there. It's there in the presence of your enemies. You will find everything that you're looking for. It starts in verse 17. This is number 17. Numbers 13, verse 17. Oh, pardon me, God. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, forgive me. We do not want to venture into your word, into your presence, without inviting you into our presence. God, would you please speak with power through your word, which always speaks with power. Your word is living. Let it live in us. Let it live in us this morning. 
invade this presence with your spirit. Bombard us with your truth and grace. And God, as this opens up, open us to it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So it reads like this. When Moses sent them, these men, to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev, go into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled? Are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebohamath. They went up through the Negev, and they came to Hebron, where Ahman, Sheshai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak, giants, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, so it's old. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch, uh, branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, meaning it's a lot of grapes. I've gone to Hannaford and picked up a cluster of grapes. I don't need a pole to carry it out of the store. We're talking about a cluster of grapes that's insane. They're, they're saying, oh my gosh, they put on a pole and two guys are carrying it, like the ark. So this is a lot of grapes. They cut off uh, a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshgal because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. That was impressive. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. 40 days. A month and 10 days, they're in the, in, in the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And then they reported them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land on the pole. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. So, you know, it sounds like, wow, okay, awesome. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the giants. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They live in the hill country. The Canaanites live there uh, along the Jordan by the sea. Then Caleb, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. This guy's in every congregation, by the way. <laughs> this guy is always here. Like, no, no, stop, stop, stop your complaining. Nobody cares. We, we can take this. We can do this. You know, I mean, there's always that guy, that motivator. Sometimes they're super annoying. Other times they're massively encouraging, but they're always there. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Like grasshoppers. Well, first... They go into the promised land, and they're there for 40 days. They're foreigners. They have no place to live, so they're just kind of staying in tents and kind of exploring. And they said, this place is so dangerous. They were there for 40 days. Nothing happened to any of them, and they come back with a fruit basket and some fig newtons. 
And like, like, why was this so bad? Like, what, what happened to you that was so horrible that you, you see what happened was Satan's working them. You can't do it. Look around you. Forget what God said. This is too much. It's too big. It's too frightening. Don't think that you have the power to do this. You are small and you are inconsequential and you mean nothing to them. They will look at you and you'll be a joke to them. See, that's how Satan comes at us all the time. And then you feel like a grasshopper. I mean, I, we, we had these big lubber grasshoppers in Florida. They were like this big. So as far as grasshoppers go, they were the Anakites. You know, they were like the giants. They were the Nephilim grasshoppers. And, and they just crawl, but they're super slow. They got wings, but they don't use them. And they slowly go up on little branches. You, you won't even see them until you're right up on them. And you're like, oh, oh, wow, you're so huge. And it scares you, and you're like so much bigger. And they're slow. Like kids pick them off, and they pull one leg, then they pull another leg. And that thing just goes, seriously, because <laughs> if I just figure out how to use these wings. And they just, you know, rip them apart and watch it happen. And they're so small and so unable to defend themselves that it would make sense that the Israelites feeling weak right now, being, being tortured by Satan in their minds, would think we're just grasshoppers. And they're familiar with them because where they are is a desert. Where they live where they've been for the last month, well, traveling two months, is a desert. And every once in a while, you come across one of these little grasshoppers. They're a desert grasshopper. There's not much about them. They just look like any other kind of grasshopper. They're hard to see until you get close. They're either like this, this kind of reddish brown that blends in with the sand, or they're closer to like a dark brown. If they're, it depends on what they're near, what they're on. And you don't see them until you're on them. You step on them. And they're, and they're usually very isolated from each other. They're not near each other. They're not gregarious. They're very, very solidary. They, they, they just go wherever they go. And they're in a super dry season. But then things change. So I'm going to ask you, you'd be like, what are we doing? I'm going to ask you to just watch this little PBS video. It's like three and a half minutes on grasshoppers just going to show it to you, and then I'm going to explain to you what you're seeing in spiritual terms. Scary. This might look like a harmless grasshopper, but under the right conditions, it has an explosive dark side. It's a locust with an appetite for destruction that can rise to the level of a biblical plague. All locusts are grasshoppers, but the only grasshoppers we call locusts are the ones that swarm. Most of the time, locusts are mild-mannered. They stay put and blend in to avoid predators. This is their solitary phase. Locusts can live like this for generations until something sets them off. In the arid regions around the world where locusts make their homes, the trigger is often a hard rain, especially following a drought. That deluge makes plants flourish. The solitary locusts eat and eat, fueling up and making more locusts. As their numbers swell, they inadvertently bump into each other. 
the hairs on their back legs are particularly sensitive. And that contact triggers a pulse of serotonin, a hormone that transforms them from loners to partiers. In just a few hours, they can go from a solitarious phase to a gregarious phase. Molt by molt, the locusts change from a camouflage green to an in-your-face yellow and black. The bright colors help scare off predators by telling them the locusts taste bad. These transformed locusts have a huge appetite. That's when things start getting crowded. Even a feast this big won't last long with so many hungry guests. The restless young locusts start hopping and marching together, forming groups called bands. It's a locust outbreak. As the locusts mature, they grow wings and take to the air. Giant swarms number in the billions. They devour entire farms in hours, wiping out people's livelihoods and causing mass starvation and misery. Outbreaks like these can last for months or years, even decades. It takes huge amounts of insecticides to knock back a full-on swarm. A better strategy is to catch minor outbreaks before they get massive, but they can be hard to spot. Researchers at Arizona State University are looking into one way to defend against locust destruction by making land less inviting to some species. They put locusts into wind tunnels to see how far the insects can fly based on what they eat. They found some locusts thrive and spread farthest on a diet rich in carbohydrates. Land managers can make their crops and pasture lands richer in protein and lower in carbohydrates if they increase the amount of organic matter in the soil. Avoiding overgrazing helps too. Those are expensive propositions and currently out of reach for many. But if we can keep working on ways to cut back on the carbs, it might just help prevent a plague. Hi, Deep Peeps. For this episode, we collaborated with PBS Monster. I lost my, oh, there it is. If you only heard cut back on carbs, you missed the whole thing. When I'm in heaven, I'm like... Brian, everyone. <laughs> All right. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm in heaven and the animals are being given out their defense mechanisms because God knows where he's going to put them, I, I would choose horns, you know, hooves, maybe, maybe like a giraffe, just wait, nothing messes with them. I watched one kick a lion. But tasting bad's about the worst. 
because someone's got to get eaten before everybody figures it out. So that's not like the one I'd want. You know, like that's your defense mechanism. You taste bad. Pigs would like it. Pigs would be happy with it. But they begin, listen, they're in the desert. It's super dry season. And they're all spread out. They're not, they're not mingling. They're all in their own place. They're all where they just normally come from. And then there's a hard rain. God brings a hard rain. And then all of a sudden, vegetation starts to grow. But it's only in pockets, so these grasshoppers are just spread out everywhere, these desert locusts. They start coming together, and they start eating in one location because God's brought the living water, so there's something there that they all need. And now he's brought the living water. They're all coming towards it, and they're bumping into each other. But something amazing happens when they do. When they do, and they start bumping and just touching, and their legs just bump, they have to do this four times in an hour, by the way, over and over, four times an hour, to actually transform into a locust. And when that happens, there's nothing different. Listen, there's nothing different taxonomically or anatomically between the desert grasshopper and the desert locust. Scientists studied these things over and over, and they can find nothing that's different minus their behavior and the way that they look after they turn into a locust. Both have wings. Only one uses them. Both of them eat the same stuff, but one of them eats it in enormous amounts. Both of them are grasshoppers. There's no difference except for one. Some grasshoppers chose fellowship, and some grasshoppers chose to be all by themselves and try to figure this thing out in a desert. So God brings the rain. And when he brings the rain, these solitary grasshoppers come together and conditions are right, and they bump into each other eating the same food, which would be the body of Jesus, which would be the word of God, which would be the rain, the living water that he brought. And so they start having the same diet, and they fill themselves with the same diet, and they start to become gregarious. It's just a matter of fellowship. Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, and all the more as the day approaches. Uh, it'll tell us in Colossians that we're supposed to uh, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's Colossians 3.16. We're supposed to be together. We are supposed to be getting together. We are supposed to be getting together. There's a reason that the journey groups have been so successful here. Because people were just in solitary little pockets just doing their own thing and trying to make this work, but it's dry. And you're in a desert. Over and over, this world is compared to that. It's compared to Egypt. Egypt's a desert. And it's hard to be in a desert when you are hungry, when you're thirsty for something from the Lord. It's hard to just be walking around this planet, but this planet doesn't operate the way you know you can in heaven and in God's presence. So you get together with other people of like mind, of like spirit, that are other grasshoppers. You're not small and meaningless when you have numbers. Numbers make the difference. Numbers make all the difference. One person never does anything of any consequence. God moves his people. And when he moves his people, at this point, 2.5 million of them, into the promised land, they are a juggernaut that nothing can stand against. 
So are we. The journey groups are successful because all they're doing is getting some grasshoppers to keep bumping into each other over the course of an hour. Talk about what you read. Talk about what the Lord's doing in your life. Talk about how he's changing things. What's happening? How, how are you at home now? Are you treating your wife better? Are you treating your husband better? Are you a better father now? Are you applying the things that's in the scripture to your life? What happened this week? Were you in the grocery store and someone cut in front of you in line? How did you respond to it? Are you acting like Christ no matter where you are? I'll never forget this time when this person cut me off and I was livid about it and it said, honk if you love Jesus on their bumper sticker. I was like, seriously, God. <laughs> I was like, getting ready to, I love Jesus <laughs> so much. You know, how are you drawing nearer? One of the most important things we've got to do, listen, you've got to, got to, you must do this, Christian. Open the Word of God. Don't let it sit in your house and collect dust. That is the rain that you need. That's the food that you need. It's Jesus in the flesh, the living word. The word became a living, uh, say it again. The word became flesh. The living word became flesh. Jesus is the word. You're having communication with him every time you open it up and read it. Open it, read it, partake of it. Find him. Yes, find him. But then go to someone else and tell him what you're reading. What did you see? What did God speak to you? Listen to what he's doing with them. Text it back and forth. Let it be a part of your life. If it is, you start to grow into locusts. Locusts are feared. Flip that around. Flip that around. Don't just worry about an agricultural society going, oh, locusts. Think about Satan going, oh, locusts. Locusts, they're the worst. They tear up everything I'm doing. I hate them. We're just saying, I'm just a grasshopper. I'm just nothing. And he sees you like, oh, I hope those guys don't get together. I hope they don't bump into each other. Listen, locusts were so feared that Egyptians, in pockets of time where they had come and destroyed and ravaged the land, they're all over their gravestones. They've put out mass gravestones, and all there'd be the symbols, same one, each one, grasshopper, 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 grasshopper. It's what killed them all. So many died because they're so powerful in numbers, in numbers. Here's another thing that they can do. Grasshoppers are strange, strange creatures. When you try to poison them, they love that because they synthesize poison. And when they synthesize poison, it makes them inedible to predators. They already tasted bad, now they'll actually kill you. There's one bird called a loggerhead strike that grabs them and impales them on barbed wire, lets it all drain out, and then eats the grasshopper. <laughs> That's pretty smart. Pretty smart. But none of the other predators know this trick. So if they eat it, they'll actually die. If you tried to poison them, that poison just stays inside of them, but it doesn't hurt them. You have to use unbelievable amounts to kill them off. So you end up killing all your crops. You end up killing people. So they end up not using that. There's too many of them. So they'll synthesize poison. You know what that means in the spiritual realm to you as a grasshopper? Make no mistakes. There's nothing in that word that's wrong or just there by chance. God put it there. When the people saw themselves as grasshoppers, he did that. Satan used it to scare them. God used it to encourage them. It's there to encourage you. 
So how do you synthesize poison if you're a locust, if you're God's grasshoppers? How do you synthesize it? Like this. Someone who was a hopeless addict and could not get free and then found Christ and Christ gave them the strength and the power to get free from this addiction. They have synthesized the poison. Now, they go to someone else who's hopelessly caught in addiction and there is nobody, there is nobody that can affect that person like this person can. This person who has synthesized the poison can go to this person who has not and said, hey, listen, I'm a locust. You're still a grasshopper. You're stuck. I can get you out. I can show you how to synthesize that. Jesus can synthesize that within you. And then he can make the poison that's within you a power that's within you. The thing that you experienced that crushed you, he will use to raise you up and then lift you up in front of others who go, wow, how did you do it? How did you do it? And you, then you give credit to who synthesized the poison. And you say it was him. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can give what I have to you because he lives inside of me. He's allowed me to synthesize poison. I know abusers who got out of abuse and they teach other abusive people to not be that way. I have been to prison ministry so, so many years. And when I would go, if there was someone who had been to prison and wanted to go back to, to share the gospel, that was the first person we'd bring. He knows the life. He understood what it means. He knew the boredom of being in a cell. He knew the darkness of never getting out of there. He knew what they were facing. He knew that most of the men that were in there were locked up before they ever got in there anyway. In their heart, in their soul, and in their spirit, he knew. And then he's like, but I got, I got freed. I can tell you how to do it. I synthesized the poison through the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I can help you synthesize the poison. No one can help like someone who synthesized it. No one else can. Anybody can bring what God has. Absolutely, bring it. Don't think that you can't help someone because... You, you don't know what they're going through. We all go through stuff. Yeah. Everything is 100% your problem when it's your problem. So it's 100% painful to you, even though someone might not understand it. But any kind of poison that you've synthesized makes you that much more effective in the kingdom. Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials. Count it all joy. Your, your, your faith is being perfected by it. Grasshoppers have everything they need, everything they need to become locusts. They were designed to be locusts. They have everything they need. They don't have to have to accomplish all these feats to suddenly then get the medal that allows them to be, you beat the locust boss and now you're one. That's not how this works. You always had it. You just had to get together with other locusts. Bump, 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 bump. Share the gospel. Talk to each other. Read the word. Experience God. Sing praise songs together. Church is so vital. Church is so vital. At least we've got this one morning that we've honed out to all be together. But don't stop there. Get together with other people in your life who understand the faith, who understand who Jesus is and have Jesus inside them. Bump throughout the week. Yeah. You know what else they've discovered? 
that one of the things that they've tried to do, you might have seen it in the video, they understand that what happens is within the grasshopper. If the serotonin levels start to rise, then the grasshopper becomes the locust. So the whole plan is, that whole scientist part, that's Satan just playing with the grasshopper. How can I stop this from happening? Because they keep ruining things I'm doing. So if I could just stop it, what do I do? And the plan becomes, okay, here's what we do. Let's find chemicals that are serotonin blockers. So if you think of serotonin, think of it like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could be given to you at any moment. You've always got the ability to receive it. You just have to ask. You've always got the ability to receive Jesus Christ in your heart. You're just going to ask. You've been built eternal with eternal ingredients. God made you eternal. You can't die. Your physical body can, but your spirit can. It's just a matter of where you're going to go. But you are eternal. You will live on. Don't think, look at yourself. You're way too complex to be some foolish accident. You are deep. There is depth to you that will last forever. You, this, this, some people would think, I just can't go on, I can't go on. You're going to go on. You're going to go on. So invite him into your heart and get the serotonin of the Holy Spirit so you can become everything you were supposed to be. Find him and then live forever with him. That's a promise, people. It's eternal life with him, not without him. But your promise, believer or unbeliever, is still eternity. But to have the peace and the joy and the hope of the King of Kings, you living in his kitchen and him never, ever getting tired of you, loving it that you're there for always. No anxiety, no alarm clock. I want in. I want in. So the serotonin blockers, what has Satan introduced? He's been studying us. I know. Netflix. That's a serotonin blocker. It could be anything. Serotonin blocker can just, you know, I can't take this. I can't take this anymore. But when I drink this alcohol, I don't feel the pain anymore. Serotonin blocker. It's a serotonin blocker. You're trying to get what the Holy Spirit gives some other way. It can be as simple as this. It can be as simple as basketball. I love basketball. I loved it too much. I'd be driving to work and hear a ball bounce and be like, do it. I would always have my shorts and sneakers and stuff in the back of my car. A couple weeks ago, I stopped that. I'm getting stronger. I just love the sport. It's just such a fun sport. And it meant too much to me because basketball gave me respect. It gave me, I could walk in anywhere and get my clout just by playing the game. I could be anywhere. And I could just play. And so I started to like derive importance and identity from it. It was a serotonin blocker. It's okay to participate in it. I remember praying with gritted teeth and sweat coming down my forehead one night, and it was literally closer to 30. God, if this is too important to me, and I know that it is, could you just make me like it less? That was the depth of my awesome prayer. And he did. He did. I still love it, but it doesn't own me. It was a serotonin blocker. If I had a chance of going to get with God's people and going to play basketball, it's this every time. 
And that's what you have to watch for. If I had the choice with free time to spend some time with God's people or to do this, and you know you're going to choose this instead, it's a serotonin blocker, so be aware of them. It doesn't mean you can't go see a movie. It doesn't mean that you can't go play a sport. It doesn't mean you, you, you shouldn't be taking a drug <laughs> to feel better. It does mean that. It's a, ser- it's a powerful serotonin blocker. But don't try to fill up what the Holy Spirit gives in peace and identity with some serotonin blocker because that's what Satan wants you to do. Don't give in to him. This is the other plan that Satan has come up with, much like the scientists who try to stop locusts. They can't stop the full-grown locust swarm. Once it starts swarming, it is unstoppable. You can't get enough poison to stop it. You can't get enough serotonin blockers to stop it. Once it's moving, once a, once a group of people has caught the fire of the Holy Spirit and they're moving together in it and they're moving and they're excited about what God is in their life and they've been changed by it and they recognize that and, they, and they're just like, we're moving, we're, we're moving. You can't stop that train. You can't stop it. Once it gets moving, you, it's got too much momentum. You can't just quickly put the brakes on. It takes trains like a mile and a half to stop. They can't stop. They can, but they have to come to a cruising stop. They can't stop fast. Neither can the body of Christ. Listen, when God starts pouring rain down on us, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. He's going to move. Yes, yes. He's going to move, and we're going to move with him, and the train's going to go and get all aboard. I mean, don't you want to be in? But we've got to be like actively pursuing, and let's get the, spirit, the serotonin of the Holy Spirit and move with him. He's going to move. But this is Satan's plan. That scientist ins- inspecting it, they, dis- they discovered this. The nymphs, the little ones, they're easier to kill. So if you kill off the children, or if you make life really hard for the children, you can stop the swarm. That's what Satan does. Make it hard for the children. Take their parents away. Have their parents fight, 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 fight. Uh, Say really horrible things to them while they're at school so they feel like they are just grasshoppers. They mean nothing. They're small. They cannot affect the world around them. They do not matter. 25 years of teaching taught me this above everything else. 25 years teaching in the public school. When I was pastoring, I was always teaching for those 13 years. 25 years of teaching taught me this. A child that feels nothing about themselves, no matter how smart they are, will do nothing for you. They won't even do anything for themselves. It doesn't matter. And a broken child who's struggling in school is definitely going to do nothing except for something that is opposite of what you want them to do. They will do that. What must you do? Build them up. Build them up. Do you know that research has said that it takes 20 kind things for one negative thing that you've said to a child? 20, before they can actually synthesize that into I'm worth something. But they're usually hearing 20 negative things and then maybe one positive thing. I had one kid that could do backflips. Unreal. He'd go all the way across this whole place. He, he could circle you guys with backflips in the fifth grade. I mean, just kept going, going, going. I was like, you are just like, of course, that's what he was doing in my classroom too, so it wasn't amazing, but he, he could do it. So I just kept offering him 
opportunities to show everybody little flips he could do. And then he started doing other things. He'd do like, you know, do a full backflip in the air and then handspring, handspring, then another one. I mean, he wanted to be like one of those like college cheerleader guys that, that holds everybody up and then does the crazy flips. And he was awesome. He was straight F. But he could do these flips that nobody else could do. I would get an F in doing what he was doing, which is why I told him. I was like, you get an F for flip. <laughs> straight Fs because you could do flips like all day long. And then he would just, by the end of the year, he's like, he didn't hit honor roll, but he's C's and D's. Beats Fs. Why? Was he suddenly smarter? No, he suddenly cared. Because someone thought he mattered. Such power in it. So, kill the children. Kill the children. Teach them things that are serotonin blockers. That's what Satan does. Teach God's children, teach God's grass, grasshoppers that there are, there's better options. This is boring. This is stupid. Pull out your phone. Got to be something cool on YouTube. This guy's boring. Ah, did I catch anybody? <laughs> there are so many serotonin blockers and the children will run for them if you do not instruct them not to. I did. I don't even want to know the hours I logged on a video game. A guy came into our journeys group the other night, he had this shirt on and it had like 15 different controllers and I knew every system that the controllers were from. <laughs> and I'm, I'm naming them all off and I got to the bottom row and I was like, oh, this is not good, is it? <laughs> I know these. I just really just sold myself right down the river, age-wise and how much time I wasted. Listen, this, it, it, it's so, it's so uh, vital for us to understand Satan's only goal is to, is to roam around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. But God resurrects and he repairs and he restores. He renews. He brings life where there wasn't any. He brings water in the desert. He brings peace when there wasn't any. He, 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 he grows up food that you need to eat right in the middle of a place you thought it could even exist. Sun bearing down, sand everywhere. How's that even growing here? It can. And the more we gravitate towards what God is growing, towards what God is doing, and keep bumping elbows, and sharing the scripture, and walking together, and supporting each other, and loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, spirit, loving our neighbor as ourselves, the more we continue to do this, there won't be any stop in that train. We will be a swarm of locusts and not a bunch of solitary, weak, pathetic grasshoppers that children can pull apart. Satan can't pull you apart. You know, did you see the color difference? Did you see the little green thing that you couldn't even spot at first? One or two of them hang around and then all of a sudden like, and they're on everything. And they're, they called it an in your, in your face, yellow and black. And in your face, yellow and black. Like, bow, I'm here. People, we weren't meant to blend in. The world says, 
hey, 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 don't make a scene. Don't do a thing. Keep your faith to yourself. And God says that the darker it gets, you will shine like stars in that. You will shine like stars in that. You will suddenly become an in-your-face black and yellow that people will see and be like, what is this? What is this? What is this? But wow, they're all congregating. I'm sitting over by myself with this one leaf and I've only got a little bit left and there's no water. Look at them. Did you know that up to three miles away, solitary grasshoppers, and we'll call them unbelievers, just sitting out there, trying to chomp on that last little leaf before they get burned up by the desert sun, can smell the serotonin that is being produced by the swarm of locusts. And without even knowing why, they are attracted to it and they move towards it until they're close enough to bump elbows and then they're a locust. It's a true story. They, the, God's already set this thing up so that they, they're like, what is that? Serotonin. I, I don't even know. It's just like me when Becky's cooking something cool. And I'm coming like from the, from, you know, stop what I'm doing. What is, honey, what is that? They'll come. They will come. And then all of a sudden, all these empty chairs will be full of locusts. And the train will move. That's where we're headed, people. That's where we're headed. The dry season's over. The dry season's over. Amen, Jesus. The dry season's over. Listen, we're going to play uh, that song. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> We're going to play that song. I, I thought, oh, wait, am I setting Sean up in a bad way? I'm not. Yay, we talked. I'm setting. Uh, I'm not. Sorry, God. God is setting the stage. He's setting the stage for a swarm of locusts. I'm only sharing with you what he told me. I'm not doing anything. I'm a grasshopper that turned into a locust because I came near the herd of them. And I'm so thankful I did. Let's bump elbows. Let's, let's build the serotonin of the Holy Spirit. And let's watch him move. A cloud's beginning to form. While we pray, while we sing, let me re reverse that. While we sing this song, I'm so glad. See, Sean and I did not talk about that. He just, he got to the end of that song. He's like, I'd like you to just sing whatever's on your heart. And that wasn't anything we talked about. I just said, hey, could you do a song at the end? But that's the Holy Spirit because what I wanted you to do was rather than just follow the words of the song, I'm just going, you know, I'm in, I'm in regular times, like 1115. I don't know, someone just look at their watch. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm on it. I'm, I'm right there. I'm watching my time. While we do this song, I'm just asking that you would just ask God, I need more serotonin. I need more of your Holy Spirit. Would you do through me what no one else can do because we need to do it together? Would you do through us what no other church can do because it's our specific job, but, but it's just our job. We're part of the big C church. We're not, we're not thinking we're better or bigger or different than anybody else. 
We're saying we have a job to do, and we want to do it right for your name's sake, Jesus Christ. But we want as a church to grow into who you'd have us be. We want the serotonin of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to introduce any serotonin blockers into our families or into our lives, and we don't want to be solitary because it's not useful to us. Move in our hearts. Teach us individually what we're supposed to do in the kingdom and corporately. I, I am not going to be going into this circle, into this circle, into this circle, into this circle. You are. Your sphere of influence is what's going to change what's around you. And then, then you're going to invite people in and they're going to come. We will grow this thing together. That's how it's going to work. The Holy Spirit's going to grow this thing as we are a swarm of locusts filled up with serotonin and we move like that train. We've got to do it together. So while the song goes, you just lift up with your heart, God. Show me my part in this. Show me my part. And then let's support each other as he does that. Amen. <laughs>